0: Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 19, George Canning, the former record breaker. Welcome to Long History. I hope you're well as we begin this episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This is the series where we literally take a Prime Minister at random and then ask a few questions, such as how this person got in office, what their main achievements were in office, and what led to them leaving the job. We've covered many prime ministers here on Long History, so feel free to explore your podcast provider or take a look at longhistory.net, our website, where all the episodes are neatly gathered together. This week's episode is about a prime minister who lasted very little time in office, but is nevertheless very well regarded. To find out why, listen on. This is Long History's random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 19, George Canning the former record breaker. Well, you know what it's like when you've held a record for almost 200 years and then just before you make it to two centuries, someone comes along and snatches it all away. Well, actually, I guess that there's very few people who that's going to have happened to personally. But in 2023, this did happen to George Canning, today's random prime minister of the week, when he lost the title of shortest serving prime minister ever. He set the record in 1827, serving only 119 days in the job. But another PM smashed the record, 196 years after the record was set. For decades, even almost multiple centuries, it looked like no one was going to beat George Canning for brevity. But then he was trounced by a Prime Minister who only lasted 50 days in the job. Now we'll give more details about that record-breaking feat in the relevant profile, but it's perhaps worth noting that the contrast between the old and the new record holder could barely be greater. George Canning, for example, has been called a genius, and it's almost a pity that he's most famous for the brevity of his premiership. He belongs to one particular group of Prime Ministers, the ones we've identified here on Long History as the near-miss Prime Ministers, the ones who might have been great, but for some circumstance of fate. Other examples include Anthony Eden from the 1950s and Frederick North from the 1770s. We've already created episodes on both of those Prime Ministers if you want to find out more. The reason why George Canning's Premiership was cut short was not due to outside events or even incompetence, perceived or otherwise. We'll discuss what happened in this episode. What was George Canning like? So what was so good about George Canning that his short premiership was seen as a missed opportunity? Well, he was an extraordinary man in a number of ways. Firstly, his parents were Irish. I think other Prime Ministers have had Irish links, but I'm not sure we could go so far as to say that their roots are Irish. Is it inconceivable that a few more Irish Prime Ministers could have changed the whole of the politics of the country? this is actually the 20th Prime Minister we've covered randomly on long history and by near coincidence it's also the 19th Prime Minister chronologically. That makes it all the more noticeable however. That Canning is both the earliest Prime Minister we've covered and the first Prime Minister we've covered who can said to have a background that even has a toe in the working classes. Other Prime Ministers we've covered have been from aristocratic families and there has been a sprinkling of people from the professions, in commerce or in medicine, but Canning is something of an exception, his father having died when he was two, and his mother having to eke out a living, working, in acting jobs. So Canning's parents worked, and Canning's loneliness does seem to have been an issue throughout his life. He seems to have been an astute and intelligent man, keen to get the job done. He had a kind of restlessness also, which made him quite a divisive character, actually. He was intelligent and sharp, but that could also mean he was cutting. He was charismatic and decisive, but that also meant he was impatient. Some saw him as a natural leader, while others were quickly offended by him. This is most exemplified, perhaps, in one of the most famous incidents of his life, when, towards the end of the first decade of the 1800s, he fell out with one of his colleagues, Canning was Foreign Secretary, and his colleague, Castlereagh, headed the War Ministry. Their disagreement led to a bizarre duel, with Canning eventually being injured by his opponent. Both of the men were then forced to resign from government, due to the rather absurd ignominy of this episode. Although he had little wealth himself, Canning married into some money in 1800. His wife, Joan Scott, was the daughter of a general, and he had four children with her. What was the historical background? In a British context, internationally, things were rather quiet during the 1820s. The Napoleonic Wars had finished over a decade earlier, and Canning, as part of his job as Foreign Secretary, was a key player in recognising the newly independent countries of Peru and Bolivia. The United Kingdom apparently, being one of the earliest states to recognise these countries, presumably to encourage future trade relations, as well as to annoy their old enemy, the Spanish. And what was happening in the United Kingdom more specifically? Robert Jenkinson, the Earl of Liverpool, had been Prime Minister since the end of those Napoleonic Wars. He held the office for some 15 years until 1827. But although there were few external wars, as we've said, there was plenty of internal unrest in the country. Jenkinson's predecessor, Spencer Percival, had been assassinated perhaps reflecting the tensions of those times. And these were the years when the effects of the French Revolution were still being felt. The establishment in the UK was on the defensive. People were asking for more rights, And the establishment wasn't exactly welcoming these calls for more representation with open arms. This was the era, for example, when the scandalous Corn Laws were put into place. These laws maintained the price of grain to the benefit of rich landowners and to the devastation of the poor, not least in Ireland. Jenkinson, Canning's predecessor, was also in office when the famous Peterloo Massacre took place in 1819. This was when there was a public gathering in Manchester calling for reforms. In response, they were shot at by soldiers. So although there'd been no revolution in the UK like the French Revolution, and even though the United States was establishing itself as a democracy with no need for a monarch, there had been no parallel change in the UK to reflect the growing wealth of the people and their subsequent calls for more representation in government. And after these rather strict policies in the 1810s, Jenkinson began to relax his policies in the 1820s, which, helpfully, coincided with a period of some calm and increased wealth in the country. What was happening in the US at the time? Well, we're only covering four months in 1827 here, So John Quincy Adams was the president during all of these four months. And Missouri and Maine were both admitted to the US at the beginning of the 1820s. Who could vote? So in each episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, we like to take a look at who could vote during the term of this Prime Minister. And the news is the same for every Prime Minister from before 1832. This was the year of the Great Reform Act, Which would give the vote to people other than just the aristocrats and the landed gentry for the first time. We've already explained the tension in the country, with people wanting more representation, but we're still five years yet from that Great Reform Act, and so it was still the aristocrats and landed gentry who were making the key decisions for the country. What was George Canning's background? We've already alluded to it in a little detail. George Canning's beginning almost seems to be Dickensian, although Charles Dickens' first novel wouldn't come out till ten years after Canning was in office. Nevertheless, we had this child who lost his father at the age of two, whose mother was scratching for a living, and then, lo and behold, a benefactor appears in the guise of a wealthy uncle. Apparently, Canning's intelligence stood out from childhood, and as such he was taken in by this wealthy uncle and brought up alongside his cousins. After that Dickensian resolution, Canning takes more of a well-worn path towards being Prime Minister. He was educated at Eton College and Oxford, the educational route of many Prime Ministers, and although he stood out as something of an outsider in these establishments, if you're going to be an outsider, why not be an outsider in the most establishment places of all? These were the years when one of the UK's most famous early Prime Ministers was in charge, William Pitt the Younger and he helped Canning to gain his first seat as Member of Parliament in 1792. There were two political groupings at the time, the Whigs and the Tories. Official political parties in quite the same way didn't exist in those years, but there were kind of groupings within Parliament. And my understanding is that the Tories were the old money and the aristocracy, while the Whigs were often more the new money and the industrialists. However, it seems that the Whigs were somewhat derailed during these years, they were still reacting to the French Revolution, some of them wishing something similar would happen in their country, and such radicalism apparently pushed a number of Whigs in the direction of Pitt the Younger and his Tory party, which was seen to be more pragmatic and conservative with a small c. Without a steady income himself, Canning in the meantime didn't fit in with the industrialists of the Whig party, and found himself fitting in more with the Tories, very much being on the side of Pitt the Younger. In fact, in 1801, when Pitt the Younger resigned, he also resigned in sympathy. Pitt had resigned over the issue of Catholic emancipation, that is, treating Catholics on the same terms as Protestants, something which they saw as necessary for good Anglo-Irish relations. As the decade progressed, there were a few changes to the top job, and by the end of the first decade of the 1800s, Canning was putting himself forward for the job. However, such open enthusiasm for the role was not deemed suitable and Spencer Percival was offered the job. He was assassinated, as we've said, which led to Robert Jenkinson. Now Canning and Robert Jenkinson had known each other since they were both at university together. So Jenkinson offered his friend a role in government but Canning pushed his luck and asked for more responsibility than Jenkinson was willing to give him. In this way, once again he exposed his own ambition for power. However, he did have a number of jobs over the following years, including ambassador to Portugal in 1814. It was in 1822, however, when he returned to his most significant role of foreign secretary. He actually replaced his former duelling foe, Castlereagh, who killed himself while serving in the job. So Canning was in one of the top jobs in government again, this time keenly showing support, for the countries that were declaring themselves independent in Latin America. How did George Canning become Prime Minister? When his predecessor Robert Jenkinson, the Earl of Liverpool, resigned after a stroke after 15 years in the job, not for the first time the country was in a situation where it needed a new Prime Minister after one long-serving man finally left the role. In the past this had often led to a quick series of premierships as various men tried and fell short in the role for various reasons. When Jenkinson left the job, Canning, with his clear intelligence and his long experience during many premierships, was a clear contender for the role. He had already been working as Jenkinson's right-hand man at the time of his stroke, and so was already an expert on government policy. There were no surprises when he was put forward as Jenkinson's successor. What were Canning's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? Well with only four months in the job it's difficult to talk in terms of achievements but he was in quite a difficult position. Jenkinson as we've said had been in the role for well over a decade and the king, George IV at the time, didn't particularly like Canning. This was right in the middle of George IV's reign being king between 1820 and 1830. So Canning's rise to the top job wasn't very straightforward. In fact At the beginning of the 1820s he had fallen out with the King. When the King and his wife separated at the beginning of the decade, Canning had had to work diligently to get the King on side by the late 1820s. Jenkinson in the meantime had been so long in the office that there was bound to be some political jostling when there was a change at the top. When some of the Tories heard that Canning could become Prime Minister, they announced that they would not be part of a government with this man. They still remembered that Canning had supported Catholic Emancipation and thought generally that he was too progressive, again showing that Canning wasn't quite a perfect fit with the Tories. However, Canning had the perspicacity to go to the other side of Parliament and get members of the opposition Whig grouping to support him in order to form his government. He also gave himself the job of Chancellor of the Exchequer, in this way putting himself in charge of the country's finances. We've already said what an ambitious man Canning was, and this was a firm indication that he was going to take charge and lead government from the front. So, what happened to stop Canning from being Prime Minister? Well, he was 57 when he reached the job of Prime Minister, and he'd already had a long parliamentary career, just under 30 years in fact. However, when he took up the job, he was already ill with tuberculosis. And actually he died 119 days into his premiership. He was eventually buried in Westminster Abbey. Why should we remember George Canning? Well, as we've said, it was almost a pity that he was only remembered for his short premiership. But now that record has been swept away, so perhaps it's worth reviving some of his other achievements. Canning was the nearest thing to a working-class prime minister the country had had when the notion of being from a non-aristocratic or at most a non-professional background was seen as preposterous, if not impossible. He seems to have been a poor fit with either political grouping at the time, with his support for Catholic emancipation, and for addressing, for example, the open wound of slavery, saying it needed to be sorted out. This put him at odds with his own grouping in Parliament, and made him look like a more natural Whig than a Tory. However, by being somewhat adrift in the centre, he did manage to put together a coalition, even if it wouldn't last due to his own death. The government he'd put together soon collapsed with the next Prime Minister, Frederick Robinson. His short premiership aside, he seems to be best remembered as a successful Foreign Secretary, particularly during the times of the Napoleonic War and in his dealings with Latin American countries as they called for their independence. Thank you for listening to this episode of Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. If you've made it to this point, I'd like to think it's because you've enjoyed the episode and have learned a little bit about history in the 1820s in the UK. If you have, please could you give it a like before you move on and share the episode. And don't forget also to follow Long History to be informed of when more episodes about random UK Prime Ministers are released. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. Number 19, George Canning, the former record breaker. Goodbye.